truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings and welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre are here as they are almost each and every day. We have a fourth member with us here this first hour. Conservative pundit and now author DC McAllister is here with us, and uh, we'll be talking with her in just a few moments. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And we're going to be getting to some of the feedback that you've been sending us there at the stevedace.com inbox. Coming up in the next hour of the program, you don't want to miss that. Before we get started with the day's group though i want to let you know that they are running out of spots in uh really what is a once in a lifetime opportunity next year it's called the cruise through history glenn beck and a lot of the vips here at the blaze are leading this cruise uh through the regions uh, of of the world that uh, really gave birth to our republic to our commerce to our faith uh you're going to see rome you're going to see athens you're going to see jerusalem really uh, the three pillars uh, of and birthplaces of what became known as Western civilization. And then this side of the pond, uh, we like to call it American exceptionalism. And if you want to take part in this, there's going to be tons of fun too. All right. In fact, Glenn's just added some new, ni- some new nightlife to the schedule, but it's, it's, it's a, it, this is something you may never get a chance to do again in your lifetime. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids, but it is selling out. There's only a few spots left. So if you want to take a look at the various packages that are available, do it now before it's too late. All right. Comesailaway.com, just like the old stick song. Comesailaway.com, that is the website to get the packages, to get the details. Comesailaway.com. And now it is time for the day group. Your weekly look at the week that was brought to you by Relief Factor, which wants to know or wants you to know if you're one of the millions of Americans struggling with chronic pain from inflammation. Relief is just a click away. I'm a huge fan of this product. It is a part of my daily regimen as well. In fact, I've incorporated it into my uh, my workout recovery like this morning, for example. And here's the two things I love the most about Relief Factor. 100% drug free, even though it is a product devised by physicians. Why? Because they recognize that when you prescribe drugs, a lot of times you're just treating the symptoms. The body was made, except in cases of extreme illness and injury, obviously, but it was made on a day-to-day basis. It was created to heal itself. It was created to push back on inflammation. So this is an all-natural formula, four key ingredients, and that's what they intend to do. That's unleash the body's God-given power to push back on the inflammation that's causing that chronic pain. If you want to give it a shot, the starter kit is available right now for a dollar a day. That's three weeks is how long to find out if this works for you for 20 bucks for three weeks, a buck a day. What do you have to lose except maybe finally, hopefully the pain? Go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. And now we go to issue one as we welcome D.C. McAllister back to the panel. Bleep Democrats say. I am Asian, so I know a lot of doctors. I looked at my balance and it is $20,237.16. 
and I just made a payment that took me down to $19,000. So I feel really accomplished right now. You know, I'm such a lefty. I mean, I'm a serious lefty. They're so, I understand why people on the right call them godless. I mean, it's like, I didn't think the left was as mean as the right. They are. Do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. to buy in. If she qualifies for Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? You said just two minutes ago? Since 9-11, right-wing terrorists have killed more people in the United States than jihadist terrorists, according to New America. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. It will be voluntary. It won't be, hell yes, we'll come get your no, guns. It's, it's manda- no, it's it's not voluntary. I, w- I want to make sure that we make the distinction here. It, it is mandatory. It will be the law. You will be required to comply with the laws. I'm the vice president of the United States. You have to set up a system, yeah, that is mandatory. You have to set up a system to pull them off. But this idea... This imagery that the fear mongers and demagogues try to say of somehow uh, armed uh, uh, a police officer showing up and confiscating weapons, that's the fear mongering. Biden saying there's no constitutional authority to issue that executive order when they say I'm going to eliminate assault weapons. Well, I mean, I would just say, hey, Joe, instead of saying no, we can't, let's say yes, we can. <laughs> Let's be constitutional. <laughs> Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. I, I think it comes down to reckoning with our history and our history of white supremacy in the United States and the fact that we live in a post-genocidal society. Oftentimes that was orchestrated by the United States government and that if we want to talk about mass shootings, we have to recognize the massive number of indigenous mass shootings that were committed by the United States government. Racism in America is endemic. It is foundational. We can mark the creation of this country not at the 4th of July, 1776, but August 20th, 1619, when the first kidnapped African was brought to this country against his will. There's a lot of parts of the Bible that talk about how life begins with breath. And so even that is something that we can interpret differently. And uh, I'm pro-choice. Take up, uh, me too. Guys is a simple term. It could mean boys, or if you're modern, hip, it means people. At first glance, guys seems inviting, friendly, maybe warm, even comedic at times. But it, like many male default terms, should not be normalized as an all-encompassing phrase. I just want you to know that you're one small step away from making a more conscious effort to dismantle the patriarchy. I don't know about you guys, but it feels like we had a breakthrough this week. It, it, it feels like we have reached or sunk, depending on your perspective, to an entirely new level. And first of all, props to Cory Booker. Like, I had no idea he was in that debate last night. Yeah. Until I saw there was an online poll asking me uh, after, afterwards if I thought he won. So, um, and, and I got to throw some fake news shade, though, at Cory. There is no chance 79-pound Beto O'Rourke or Beta O'Rourke is, is, is taking anybody's guns away without armed help. There, there's just zero chance that he's got no chance in that equation without somebody else with a weapon assisting him. But that notwithstanding, uh, what was your favorite pumpkin spice crazy this week, Todd? Well, it comes at the end, and it, it, it's because of the fact that they're paired together, perhaps intentionally by Aaron. I don't know, because I think it speaks 
to the mania that we have reached so that now that's we that's a good word and that now we're in that place again friday's his day aaron yeah I mean, I just real mediocrity four days a week. Yeah. And then Friday, dude, just brings See, it on Friday. Yeah. Once once we get this utopian, um, uh, dystopian government set up, once one of these uh, jokers wins from the Democratic Party, I think I think just to kind of even the playing field, Todd's going to have to go away on Fridays. I'm yeah, because I know what you're doing, too. We're getting older, right? You're looking at the Blue Chew ads and stuff, and you're thinking, well, maybe they got a point, right? And you're like, I got to save myself here, right? I get it. And you're like, go out with a high note. We both grew up watching Seinfeld. You're pulling Esca Stanza, right? Go out on a high note. I totally get it. So I'm not, I'm not busting your scrotum or anything like that. I'm, I, I get no. what you're doing. I see what you're doing. All right. I'm you good. save your best for last. And I respect it because you're really bringing it on Fridays. Uh, I, yeah. I appreciate that. It's that I kept thinking, Aaron, you should have run what you ran. I think it was yesterday or the day before the scene from uh, Infinity War. Magnificent! <laughs> Magnificent! Because that's in the end there. When you have it combined, the, just the, the flaccid nonsense of the patriarchy coming back because of the term guys. But right before it, you have just the callous indifference in the name of Christianity of, well, we probably can kill the babies because let's look at what the Bible says about the term breath. The, those two are so related because some, when you are think you're talking about absolutely nothing and there's a laugh track that should be with the, the one that ran at the end with the girl you've never heard of, the same gas, ghastly laugh track can be run with what Buttigieg said. It's all the same insane. Sometimes it makes you cringe. Sometimes it makes you laugh instead of cry. Mm. But it's all the same. So, DC, you have now been uh, waiting exactly 10 minutes to talk. So we will go to you, and the floor is yours. Take as much time as you would like. Go ahead. Do you, got, do you guys remember um, that uh, Repo Madness? Back in the seventies, about marijuana. And yeah, everyone out. actually, I think that was back like in the thirties. Is when the, the old black and white reefer madness movie. Yes. Yeah, I think I got resurrected in the seventies when marijuana became went mainstream. But right. yeah, that movie is on like back from the nineteen thirties or something. But yeah, so, someone needs to take that reel and put Democrats all in it <laughs> and their reaction to you know patriarchy and Christianity and well, all of it and together because that's how they're acting. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, you, you, it, they're just running crazy in the streets, mm-hmm. you know, because this, uh, you know, it's a, it's repo patriarchal madness. Here's why your analogy is it might be even better than you think it is because reefer madness was was done as a way to over embellish to scare you know the young people into not indulging in this product. It's 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 an over the top presentation. Okay, and. That's exact. This is like if if we went out there, if if, the, if these clips did not exist, and we went out there to our neighbors, particularly in the suburbs, DC, and we said, "Hey, this is who these people are." They would never believe us. They they like we could not write a column, we couldn't produce a show, a movie, a video that would convince them that this is what the other side of this argument is. They you wouldn't want because it goes against the common sense built in all of us to just to assume, as Todd said, this level of mania uh, in, in in our neighbor. That the idea that they are putting this on film unprovoked, like they haven't even gotten to the part of engaging the other side of the debate yet. I think that's a, that your analogy might be even better than you thought. That's right on the money. It's so over the top that I wonder if it just scares people that like these people are just nuts. I wonder how many Americans never thought, well, Marianne Williamson's making a lot of sense right now. Well, she actually went out and maybe realized it. She's like those neighbors, and she's starting to really listen to what the left is saying. And they're like, these people are mean. 
They're crazy. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's really an engulfment of, of madness. They're descending into the pit, I'm afraid. Aaron, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the, the favorite cray-cray of this week was definitely at the end because throughout that montage, um, yes, uh, the left is – the high priestess of leftism, of progressivism is like, whoa, you guys are – you guys are killing me. Come on, let's let's slow your roll a little bit. We go from that to hell. Yes, we're going to come take your guns and uh, and a double down. Yeah, uh, no, you heard me right. We're going to take your guns and take them away from you. Um, to yeah, it's cool to kill the babies, maybe even after they've been born or on the way out. Um, to uh, <laughs> constitution, um, you know, you know, uh, Kamala Harris is just over there, basically sipping on a fifth of bourbon. It sounds like. And uh, she's like, <laughs> Constitution, guys, Constitution. <laughs> and then we go to. Um, I'm only, I'm only, we, the, you know, the yeah. former Attorney General yeah. and, uh, and it, you know, and yeah. prosecutor. What the hell do I know about that? Yeah, right? and, and then the yeah. cherry on top is, uh, oh, by the way, don't say hey, guys. So this is this is a wonderful future that we're looking forward to, and uh, I think the, the the cherry on the top was the end. Don't 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 say hey, guys. Don't say hey. Guys. If he never held one rally, and didn't post a single tweet. Between, what, what is it? It's almost 400 days. It's a little more than 400 days until the election, okay? If for the next 400 days, he, he didn't ever again engage North Korea, post a single tweet, or hold a single rally, and, and all you saw next fall until the debates were just your montage, Aaron, mm-hmm. as ads, and they just spent... The, they're they're raising that can't, the Trump campaign is raising crazy money right now, and they just spend it all on running your montage in every battleground state. What would what do you think the outcome of the election would be, Todd? What do you think it would be? It would be better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain of that. It would be better. Yeah, we may not know what it is, but it would be better. All right, so we're gonna mix up the exit question. You guys didn't know this. So I'm, I'm gonna switch it up on you. All right. So I, I posted this poll last night, and I got to get you guys' take on this. This is our exit question. I know normally we ask you to rate the level of crazy. I think we all agree that there's a new level of crazy this week, right? Sure. There's a new, new bar was set this week. Do sure. we all agree on that? Okay. So here's the exit question. Exit question. Which flavored vape that is now uh, oppos- supposedly banned do you believe Kamala Harris OD'd on before last night's Democratic debate? Now, I offered the audience four options. Uh, watermelon burst. My, my personal favorite. Uh, neighborhood Strawberry, and I, I kind of thought that might be more popular, if you know what I'm saying. But apparently, a lot of you were homeschooled and don't know what that's a reference to. Aaron no has no idea. clue what that's a reference I to. I don't. You don't either? <laughs> no. no. Okay. Um, uh, uh, 53% uh, Orange Man Bad was the flavor that she OD'd on before last night. Uh, and then the Chronic uh, was, uh, was at 30%. So... Which which uh, flavored vape that is now banned uh, do you believe uh, Kamala Harris OD'd on uh, before last night's debate, Aaron? Uh, it's definitely um, definitely orange man bad. I, I think that's probably the most most likely one of, out of all of those options. Todd, I need to come correct on this because I'm clearly in the minority. Uh, it's so interesting. Everybody's all over the map on a lot of different analysis. No, we love contrarian takes. So you go ahead. You may praise her. Go ahead. Well, I just I you what I knew of her and I didn't know a lot of clips about her you know there's a lot of people she's out in california i what she did regarding delight in an abortion was just appalling but i really thought when i said uh, she'll cut you everything i'd read or heard about i thought she was going to be nasty like julian castro is nasty just vicious i i find her to be 
more like a, just you know i don't i don't believe anything she stands for but just as a persona how she handled that grandmother a couple weeks ago that we had on the show she just seems more like she likes a cheeseburger things like that where she and i think she's actually a little bit more sane than a lot of these people and that's why she's really having a harder time than this with a lot of us thought <laughs> which is why i think i'm going to go with neighborhood straw i know i know neighborhood strawberry that just seems like a nice thing to me I, I I mean, yeah, she says all the it's boiler, a little too nice. You know, she the says the boilerplate stuff about Trump, which everybody can expect. But like, she's laughing with with Joe. She doesn't want to be mean to him. I, I really, there's appalling people. Out there. She's just way nicer than I thought she was going to be. Now I had a very low bar, and I'm obviously wrong about this because people were coming back at me on Twitter last night. He's like, "Are you crazy? Do you really believe this?" I like I okay. Name, name three homes in America you'd less like to spend Thanksgiving at. Then Julio Castro's go. Right off the top of your head, go. Name three. Oh, homes. yeah. He's, but isn't he, am I, you agree with that though? Isn't he, he who is, you he's thought the, she was going to be? someone that didn't get beat up enough in school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he's he, nasty. He, 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 is, he is someone that the world would have been a better off place if someone would have kicked his ass a long time ago. Agreed. He is, he, he is, is beyond he is, insufferable. This, is, this See, is why one of the rules for he made me um, want to seriously, go in, seriously dating one of your daughters is they have to have their butts kicked yes. at one point. He made That's me, you know, we don't have, there's not going to be a Republican caucus this time, obviously, and it's an open, it's, it's an open state in Iowa. He made me want to go out if the caucuses were the next day, he made me want to go out and register Democrat just to vote for Joe Biden because that guy is a total tool, yeah. man. That guy is an absolute tool in my view. Um, he needs a wedgie. He needs a wedgie. Yes. Well, that's that's another way. We, or, or a swirly. Um, uh, what, what, what flavored vape do you think Kamala Harris OD'd on last night before the debate, DC? Uh, well, I think you... You missed an opportunity here. I think Willy Wonka chocolate with CBD oil in it would be good. Nice. Uh, the answer, of course, uh, is is neighborhood strawberry. <laughs> and no, Aaron, you are not permitted during the commercial break to look up that reference at UrbanDictionary.com. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I saw you over there you mumbling gonna, to yourself. Are you going to tell me then? All right, no, I'm not because your mom will make you quit and I need you here. All right, let's go to issue two. Never forget, or did we? This week, America remembered for the 18th time the horrendous acts of terror carried out by Islamic radicals on September 11th, 2001. Well, most of America anyway. If you ask the New York Times, they'll tell you that the planes were responsible for the attacks which killed nearly 3,000 Americans, saying in a tweet, quote, 18 years have passed since airplanes took aim and brought down the World Trade Center. Today, families will once again gather and grieve at the site where more than 2,000 people died. If you ask CNN, they'll say this. Since 9-11, right-wing terrorists have killed more people in the United States than jihadist terrorists. That's according to New America. There are some folks for who their for their own political purposes would like to keep the focus on only one form of political violence over another. But that would be unwise. And if you ask people like Nicole Wallace, they'll say ish like this, quote, I was in the White House on 9-11. After third plane crashed, we evacuated with the White House press corps on orders from the U.S. Secret Service, who pointed up and said they're coming. We ran outside the Northwest Gate together, potential targets of terrorists. When Trump calls the press the enemy of the people, I think of this day. So there's that. All right. I give you now you can only come up with two because we just found one person who's home at Thanksgiving. You'd want to spend less than Julian Castro's. And it's this Nicole D. Wallace's. And here's why. She's a woman. I can beat Julian Castro's ass. All right. I, I can just punch him. 
her, I just got to sit there and listen to the wailing banshee screeching. All right. And, and, and uh, which makes me wish I had a gizzard that someone could choke. So Nicole D. Wallace, that's one home you'd less like to spend a Thanksgiving meal at than Julian Castro's. Agreed? Agreed. You, now your job is to come up with the other two. Okay. Yeah. Let's get to the first question. If the 9-11 attacks had occurred this week instead of 18 years ago, how would the country and our government react? Open-ended question, no wrong answers, just your own opinion, analysis, and we're just going to listen to each of your perspectives. And DC, I'm going to let you go first. Go ahead. Oh, I think we'd have a strong reaction from Trump, um, probably similar to the Bush reaction, and it would really go after the enemy. We would have a strong government reaction. And because of that, and because of the tenor of today's society and the political discourse, you'd have a whole bunch of people on the on the left doing like you saw in those clips, blaming America, uh, blaming Trump, blaming um, us for being racist, that we would probably even hear people say we deserved it. Um, and maybe even some conspiracy theories that they weren't really jihadists, that they were people from the right. That's what you would get. And you would get further division and you would get reinforcement to the people who are really attacking our nation and really trying to dismantle it and encouraging them in that way by attacking our own people. And racism, you would hear constantly that that's the cause and that's the reason and that we deserved it. Aaron, how do you think the think, country and the government would react? I think D.C. Uh, basically took the, the words out of my mouth. That basically, the same people who bleat about victim shaming or victim blaming would be the ones blaming America for if 9-11 happened this week. It, the, the very same people would be blaming America with, with impunity. Now, I remember 9-11. I remember that day well, and I remember the, somewhat of the reaction fairly well. And maybe, maybe I'm looking back with a little more nostalgia or whatever. I don't think there was much of a hint at all in the aftermath about blaming America for this. There was just mourning, and then there was, we're going we're, we're to go kick these people's butts right now. That's what I remember anyway. That could be inaccurate. You guys tell me if, the, if what I'm remembering is inaccurate. But nowadays, there would be, there would be so much bleeding, uh, bleating, I should say, uh, about how America is to blame for this and how uh, this is all because of Orange Man bad. And there would be that with impunity on every single airwave, every other tweet for the next week or two. Or because we live in a Twitter-filled world now, we'd forget about it. I'm, I'm dead serious. We'd forget about it as soon as they cleaned up the mess. That's because that's who we are. That's, that's, I, that's what I really believe. Todd, your thoughts? I think there would be a uh, loud, very loud call for a uh, two-year investigation led by Robert Mueller uh, about collusion between Trump and the terrorists. And I'm pretty much serious about that. I think they would uh, make the base of the left and many Democrats would would make this his fault. And I I go back. This is one of the eye-opening uh, again, we were, Steve, late 20s when this happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember this is before social media, but I remember the back and forth with my uh, uh, buddies from high school and college, which that was the way you, you really stayed connected back then. And that we kind of had our own chat room about that, what was going on. And the number of people back then, and listen, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. Many of the people I'm still friends with now are, are, are uh, undeniably liberal. But uh, I saw their willingness, like uh, this, 
this is this is Bush's fault. This is what happens when you dabble in theocracy. Uh, B- Bush is Hitler. I mean, they the again the mania that was sprouting even then just goes to show me that even in the face of this this bombing, it was our fault. Do we look where we live? We don't. We can't get the bathrooms right. Do you really think for a second? Uh, that this would all be blamed somehow on Trump. Uh, wouldn't it be blamed on Trump and Republicans and that the Antifas would, would be starting civil wars in our streets uh, using this as cover to do what they wanted to anyways? Uh, it, it would be... It would be dark and terrible as the dawn. I agree that we are the, the, the what Trump would do. I mean, it would be that big bomb that you'd been talking about, Steve, and it's it's go time. The Moab. It would be go time on that front. But in terms of how where we would be culturally, I think it would be utter chaos. So I want to get to the exit question uh, a minute or two early because I want to give you each a chance to explain your answer in full as well. Exit question: What do you believe is America's current most dangerous foreign foe, Aaron? current most dangerous foreign foe it is um i i can't i i think we're only let me i I want to explain this in, in full because i'm going to go a little bit against the grain here the moab that you just talked about the fighting force that we still control the the arsenal of the weapons that we have at our disposal nobody should be a threat, which means that the biggest foreign threat to the United States is whatever we let it to be, which means that the people running our military, the people making the decisions, by and large, the people whose worldview determines who is an enemy and who is not, that's the biggest threat. That's the biggest, uh, that can make the biggest foreign threat to the United States. So again, I'm not naming a country here because we should not be under threat by any nation with the amount or the size of the military that we have. What's your answer to the question, Todd? It's a tie between Islamic terror and illegal immigrants from Central America. Why flesh out why you have a moral equivalency there? Uh, Well, uh, it's it's not purely apples to apples but one is there's so many unknowns between uh, with um islamic terror what anybody's doing at any one time the way that you know that how that evil is scheming i do know what's going on with illegal immigration and even the majority of illegal immigrants are not bad people and they're they are coming to a land of milk and honey from a garbage dump of a country i get that uh but we know that problem and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And Daniel Horowitz lays this out all of the time. It's unsustainable. It's it's a known, and it's and it's cancerous. It, it, even with the best of intentions, it cannot be upheld. So, so your answer basically ties to the, the back. You're giving a that, specific example of what Aaron regarding cited. illegal immigration. Just yes. a lack of will. Yes, it's okay. a little different. I mean, no matter how much will we show regarding illegal immigration with with um, Is, terrorism, yes, yes. Islam's been a problem since the eighth century. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. All right, DC, your answer. Go ahead. I think our greatest threat is probably an alliance, um, not just a single late nation, but Islamic terrorism, Russia, China. Um, if some kind of alliance is formed there, uh, that can pose a great threat to our nation. But I'm going to have to say, kind of picking up on the theme that Aaron and Todd were saying, but broadening it to culture, is that our greatest threat really is domestic, and it's the state of our culture, which is feeding our politics. And I believe that really the state of our culture is fed 
by the state of our relationships with one another. And if we don't clean up our act and our understanding of each other's humanity as divinely designed and understand our purpose as God created us as human beings and to be in relationship with one another, we will self-destruct. Well said. Hey, if you're thinking of taking advantage of a booming real estate market with mortgage rates falling and the economy growing at a robust pace, make sure before you do so that you sign up with a real estate agent that you can trust. Somebody who's been proven and vetted to have a proven track record of success. Someone who understands a marketing plan uh, is more than just, hey, let's have another open house on Sunday that three people show up to. And somebody who gets professional courtesy. They return your calls when they promise that they do their best uh, to make sure they get at least a 30 minute, 60 minute heads up before they brought somebody over to see your house, they, they're not violating that now for like the third time. All right, if you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust, you're looking for this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. It's different from other referral sites that are really about finding clients for agents. This is really about finding an agent worthy of having you as their client. Uh, if you want to learn more or find out where the real estate agents you can trust are in your area, go to this website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, when we come back, as we do part two of our Weekend Review Roundtable, we're going to look at where the Democratic race stands now. We're post-Labor Day. We just had our most recent round of debates, some interesting new polling data out there, and we'll take a deep dive into where we think that race is trending and why. That's coming up next year on the Dace Group Roundtable, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Stay tuned. just had this sent to me from a Sarah Jason and it's uh it's a meme that says when you want to enjoy the fall but you live in the south pumpkin spice off <laughs> I don't get it it just had pumpkin off, spice you know the mosquito spray when you want to enjoy the fall, but you live in the South. Oh, oh. So gotcha. pumpkin spice mosquito spray. I literally thought that you were just. Um, Denise gen- is with me. I could yeah, tell. I, I, Thank God, sister. A friend. <laughs> I thought that, that you were just saying gibberish and that just because that gibberish had pumpkin spice in it, it made you happy. No, and no. Out. I think we won that round. <laughs> Magnificent. Where's my off can? <laughs> yeah. Ah, this portion of the show brought to you by Home Title Lock. Most of us have tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity stored up in our homes. It's a retirement. It's a nest egg. Maybe it's our emergency cash in case we need it. And then just imagine when you go to need it and it's not there. And that's because online thieves have stolen it. It's called home equity theft. The FBI says it's one of the fastest growing crimes because our home titles, our mortgages are kept online now in databases that thieves can hack. They go in there, make it look like you sold your home to them. And then they take out loans against your equity using your home as collateral. And often you don't even know about it until the late payments, maybe even the foreclosure notices start showing up. Your identity theft protection, your bank can't protect you. But for pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. If they detect any tampering at all, they mobilize to shut it down. If you want to protect your most valuable asset from equity thieves, go to HomeTitleLock.com. And right now you can register to get 60 risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com. All right, let's get to issue three. So where does the Democratic race stand now? 
The most recent Real Clear Politics polling average of Iowa shows Joe Biden with a 10-point lead over Elizabeth Warren's 18 points. Bernie Sanders follows close behind with 17 and a half. Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg both lag behind between 5 and 10 points apiece. The latest Real Clear Politics average of New Hampshire shows a much tighter race with Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders separating themselves by a razor-thin margin, 21.4 points to 21 points. Elizabeth Warren is not too far off with 18.2 points. Buttigieg and Harris once again round out the top five. And in Nevada, Real Clear Politics shows Joe Biden leading Bernie Sanders 27 points to 20.7. Elizabeth Warren is in third with 15. And again, Harris and Buttigieg round out the top five. All right. So those are the latest uh, polling of the early states. We've also had multiple national polls this month that had Elizabeth Warren soaring and Joe Biden slipping heading into last night's debate. So are you buying that? And do you think that what we saw last night changed anything at all? Todd, I'll start with you. No, you actually retweeted a tweet of mine at the end of the day that I said this, uh, the, Joe Biden has been sliding, Warren has been catching up, and this is only going to continue that, if not flat out uh, accelerated. Although I haven't understood, I, even though with what you said about the press and picking up Warren, I haven't understood why, when the field's this big, when there's other possibilities for intersectionality, why Warren? Now, she Warren has done well. She's gone with cranky grandma and, and did that again. with. She didn't really win the debate in any, but she certainly didn't lose it. And she had, a, had probably had her softest moment when she talked about being an elementary school teacher. So I think that gives her like, well, she's at least she's, uh, she's not Hillary. She's not that kind of old and cranky. There is a softer side, which people might want. But it's it's with with Biden, uh, the uh, the bloodshot eye in the um, the the global warming debate, and now with what may or may be that teeth denture, and just like looking like he can't hear. Even when Castro was being nasty, he looks and what did he say? Listen, I, I think the main reason why Warren specifically uh, was ele- is because there's people in the know that know that Biden is just be- besides the fact that he's not woke, and that's troubling to them. I think they know that this is he 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 definitely has lost his fastball. Maybe they don't know to what an extent. Because um, it's it's it is uncomfortable to watch. I feel I do feel bad for Biden at times. So since you went there, let let's be serious for a second. I, I don't mean this as Me any too. kind of troll. I know I know that's why it's a good segue to how I want to add to it. What I'm going to say next, I don't mean this as any kind of troll. This is just person to person, human to human. Okay. At the very least, Joe Biden has lost his fastball. And there's nothing wrong with that, all right? He's 78 years old. That is the average lifespan of an American male. Mm -hmm. Now, he's had wealth and privilege longer than most American males. He's also had, what, double family tragedy in his his past. He's been in public, the public eye for decades, all right? Uh, And he served in a White House for eight years. Who comes out of a White House looking younger than they went in? In fact, you age in dog years there, regardless of, you know, what your ideology you bring into that environment with you is. So he, these are, he has lived, it's not, he, his 78 years is not the same as the guy who, you know, did a postal route. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it, this is a different level of 78 years. There's a lot of mileage on those tires, mm-hmm. a lot. And it's very clear, and, I, I, and it's not even the gaffes, okay? George those w. are Bush, always there. Yeah, Joe, those, were, those have been there Joe's whole career when he had a lot more hair and it was darker. George W. Bush invented the word, we had to learn what the word malaprompt meant. Okay, um, Trump has had plenty of gaffes. That, that's not an issue. Mm-hmm. It's it's 
It's the misremembers. And I'm not even talking the political lying that we see from a normal politician. Like, like the stuff he clearly cannot recall. And it's, 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 the, it's the moments, and you saw this a couple times last night, the painful to watch moments when it's clear that the synapses aren't firing. You can't articulate. You know what it's like watching in many respects? It's like watching Lee Corso on College Game Day. Mm. There was Lee Corso 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and then there's yep. post-stroke Lee Corso. Yeah. Okay? And, 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 and Lee gets on a roll. And, and, the, and the mind is working, but the, he, the mouth can't connect, right? And, and he wants to say the same stuff that he said 10 years ago, and he tries to do it at the same speed, and he just can't do it. No, okay? in, that, in that context, that's still, he's still entertaining. And yes. You understand And that. he's the professor emeritus of a yes. television show. Yep. He's not, they're not making him the executive producer of College Game Day. Yep. He's not determining what the rundown is. He's not hosting the show. He's the actual mascot of the show yes. in a wonderful yes. way. Yes, yes. That's and they treat him as a professor yes. emeritus, and he he basically made that show what it is, and I love what they do with him. Yep. He's not running for general of an army. Right. He's not running to be the, the the CEO of a major corporation or the president of these United States. And if you're at this point now, when you I, I fail to see how this gets better into your eighties. Because with, with it's the, impossible. With, because, yes, with with the schedule and demands of the office once you have it. All right. And I think as a country, you know what? Set aside what you think of Donald Trump. The election, again, is not for 400 more days. As a country, it's becoming increasingly clear, at least to me. And I know there's a segment of, of, of America that just thinks he's the only guy that can beat Trump, so they're lying to themselves. If that's the only guy that can beat somebody with a 44% approval rating, I don't know what to tell you, okay? As a, just on a human level, it's becoming increasingly clear he's not fit for the office, and he can't do the job. And I, I just... I think it's time to have a conversation about that right now. The Iowa caucuses are not until February 3rd. The New Hampshire primary is about a week or two after that. So what is that? That's the end of the NFL season that just started. That's plenty of time for the Democratic Party to figure something else out. Because we can't elect that and show that to China and Russia and Tehran. We just can't. We can't do that. Can't that that's not fit. That's to me. I think that's unfit for office. That's my commentary. The rest of you can agree or disagree or otherwise comment on where you think the race is at DC. The floor is yours. Go ahead. Well, I think in politics and especially in the Democratic Party, it comes down to when you're looking at these candidates, it's about who earned the right to be there. That's a big part of it um, that has to do with how the media covers them, the funding they get, the donors they get, and familiarity with the voters themselves. So Joe Biden, like Hillary Clinton, has earned his right to be there. And people respect that and want to honor that. And they struggle with these indications that you're talking about and problems with this very real aspect of he's earned his right and his day has now come to be there. And this is, I think, what's driving a lot. He, he's ahead in all the states, pretty much. But not only is he ahead, but when you look into the different states like Nevada, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Iowa, not only is... Uh, uh, Warren behind, even though it's been up and down and shifting a little bit, uh, she loses in the general in those states, whereas Biden wins. And I think it has to do with that familiarity and that that he's earned the right to be there. That also speaks to Warren a bit. She's been around for longer than these other candidates. And if you notice, the top three are the ones who've been around. And, you know, you talk about him not be- Biden not being uh, adept for the office. Well, neither was Hillary. Yet they put they nominated her, and I think she was even worse than Biden. I mean, falling down stairs and passing out, and 
not being able to remember anything and lying. You know, so I, I don't think those things matter to the Democratic voters. And that's who we have to think about. Who are they? What matters to them? And what matters to them is who can beat Trump, you know, orange man bad. Uh, who do they trust? Who is familiar with them? And but yet work that out with their identity politics and their intersectionalism where they want to bring in someone who's not a white man. And that's where they may find comfort in the VP. But I, I, I used to think Biden was really on the downhill, but and he is maybe in some ways. Um, but politically, I, I think he's being buoyed up by the by these factors. Hmm. Aaron, you get the last word. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I think what's going to happen if he is elected is is somebody or somebody's are going to play the role of worm tongue. Um, yeah, I don't think know, he'll finish a term. No, I'm, and, and I'm not. I'm, and not, a, not, I'm not a troll. I'm, ser- I'm serious. How this is supposed to work at yep. any level? I mean, people that will eventually come out. Who's actually calling the shots in the White House? If in and people, who knows? Who maybe they won't care. But that's not how the, we're voting for a president to do a job, not for somebody, not to, for a figurehead uh, of some shadowy people actually pulling the strings. And that sounds conspiracy. No, that's what will happen because I do not believe, and I expressed this to my girlfriend a few weeks ago uh, on all these gaffes, which is I'm like really almost uncomfortable pointing these out and putting them in montages and things like that because it is just an old guy. Yeah. It's just an. You know old why guy. you're uncomfortable? Because it's not political. It's, it's human. It's, it is. It's clear yeah. on a human level he cannot yeah. do this job. And but I, I do keep coming back to, he's running for president too. It it they there's just got to be somebody there who says, his wife, somebody in the family that just says, let's go enjoy the rest of our lives as human beings, not as Joe Biden, the former vice and, president. And I and I would say to Democrats, if 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 well, he's the guy that can he can beat him now. I guess no, without a lot of people paying attention and early polling is notoriously terrible. I mean, where is he at in the middle of June next year when he when it's 10 hour days every day, constantly in the in the July in the heat of the sun and summertime and more and more people are paying attention. If he has those moments with, you know, maybe 15 million people watched that last night. A hundred million people are going to be watching these three debates a year from now. After and this is after he's gone through all of the all of this race up until this point. If he has one of these kinds of moments that we have seen repeatedly with a hundred million people watching, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what people think of Donald Trump. He's not going to win. He's not going to win. He's clear. It's it's becoming increasingly obvious he's not fit for the office. He cannot do the job. And I don't know if this has ever happened before. You know, we didn't have rampant media like this. We didn't have social media like this. But it's pretty obvious that he can't. It's get, that it's that you, you have to lie to yourself at this point. Exit question: How many of the four early states that would be Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina do you believe Joe Biden eventually wins? And we won't hold you to it because again, the election's not for like six months. Todd zero. Wow, DC, go ahead. He will win South Carolina no matter what. Okay. Jamel Hill last night pointing oh. out only Joe Biden's only being propped up, propped up uh, by uh, white people. Actually, if you look at every single poll, his lead is entirely in every national poll. His lead is entirely made up of his advantage with black voters. It's the exact opposite. But keep race baiting away. Aaron, I think it's more likely than any other possibility that he will win one state. All right. Let's get to issue four. It's that vape ban. This week, the Trump administration announced it's considering, along with the FDA, banning flavored e-cigarettes after a few people died supposedly from vaping too much. 
If you don't know what vaping is, then watch this. Well, look, I'm 22 years old, so I'm using them legally. And honestly, they're just cool. Like, they're cool. You rip them. There's nothing cooler than blowing a fat cloud like that. They call me the Colossus of Cloud. I just, it helps my swag. It helps my drip. I just love walking around. It's really good for getting chicks, too. So, honestly, I started about a year ago. And yeah. What's I haven't looked back since. The proposed ban prompted this amazing headline from the New York Times. A ban on flavored e-cigarettes a- would Aaron, sharply stop, cut stop, sales. Stop, 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 Mr. President, I apologize. Not only was this not constitutional overreach, as I described it, and many here on the right did, uh, this was a mercy kill. This was an act of mercy on your part. Because after I saw millennial suburban white guy talk about his swag and his drip and his cloud, it, it's, it's very clear that whatever your, your, your motivations were and whatever Melania's irrational fears may be, uh, the reality is, once again, um, despite a clumsy start, you stumbled onto the right conclusion. This is what you did. You, you really are, after all, saving Western civilization because that guy's living at home with his mom. All right. But let's have fun with this. Nonetheless, I I just I I literally changed my view on this watching that clip. That is a real clip. That's not parody. Nope. Was that guy serious? That's that's what I'm wondering. If it was a parody. Genius. Yes. If it's a parody, then that's the then you know what? You got even me. But who's written my share of parodies over the years. I I think he's exaggerating. He's exaggerating, but he does love vaping. I mean, if it's not a parody, though. Uh, DC McAllister just wrote a fantastic book defending men. If that's most of men, she would not have written that reconsider. book. She, there's nothing to defend. Yeah, reconsider your subject matter. <laughs> actually, uh, no, I, no, I have a chapter called masculinity. We're having some issues with yeah. DC's video. We'll have to reconnect with. Them. All right, let's reconnect, Todd. Quickly, if you had the option, if your spouse said, "Hey, you're president, ban this product. It annoys me." What would it be? Instant replay. <laughs> don't ask me these questions if you don't want. Your that spouse answer. would say, "Ban instant replay." My spouse? Yes. Your spouse would say, this annoys me. You have the power to ban it. Get rid of it. Well, she, does. she might, so you'd stop talking about yeah, it, Yeah, right? she does hear me at home, too. Yes. All right, Aaron, what's your product? The product that uh, would probably be banned, at least uh, for me anyway. Um, Coffee? Yeah. Do we have DC back? Uh, I believe so. It looks like her video is still cutting out, though. Uh, so is it still cutting to, out? Yeah, we're, we're going to have to kind of go over that for right now. I'm okay. Um, you know what? Um, Nicole D. Wallace's program. I'll just start there. In fact, that's what your wife would say? Yes, so that maybe I would stop talking about it. In fact, she'd be like, I don't care. What do you want to ban? And I would tell her that. She'd go, okay, then ban that. that that's, that's what we would do. All right, let's get to predictions. And if we end up getting her back, give me a thumbs up. All right? Well done. All right, Aaron, or Todd, your prediction this week. Quickly go. Uh, my prediction is that uh, the Packers are going to start off 2-0 and in the North by beating another foe, the Vikings. By the way, you know, next to Bill Belichick, you know which current active coach is the best against the spread? the uh, uh zimmer the coach of the uh, vikings we have her back dc your prediction this week go ahead uh national review will write another article explaining and trying to figure out why republicans and conservatives support trump for the hundredth time <laughs> i was just gonna say i don't know why nobody's written that article yeah just yeah. like i'm surprised there aren't more series with like ham-fisted progressive commentary social commentary you know i would i would think that there'd be a real market for that aaron your prediction 
The only one I feel comfortable about making tomorrow, I'm actually going to be taking the under on Cyhawk. Uh, that's the only thing I feel comfortable about predicting in tomorrow's game. You're pretty confident Iowa State's going to win, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm not confident either way. It's going to be a great game, though, regardless. DC, quickly before we let you go and I get my prediction, uh, plug your forthcoming book and let us know when it comes out. It's uh, what men want to say to women but can't, and it's out on Amazon and Barnes and Noble for pre-order. It will be released on February 11th, and it's about the damage feminism has done to relationships, and why we should be celebrating masculinity instead of denigrating it. Very well said. All right, we'll see you again down the road. Thanks for joining us again. Okay. Thank you. All right, quickly. My prediction is Trump will hold face-to-face talks by the end of the year with some figurehead in Iran. And it's just a matter of what conditions he demands or doesn't demand in order to make that happen. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know you got to go early today. What do you, I, what do you think? Oh, I think you're you're right on. I think he's swooning a little bit to talk with a uh, a despot and see if only a problem only Trump can solve. It's only been a, it's been a few weeks. Get, yeah. get an itchy trigger finger. Yeah, right? it's got a deal. Yeah. All right, we'll come back. Say goodbye to Todd. Aaron and I will be back for some feedback Friday. Uh, stay tuned right here, live and on demand on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast next. And we are back with Hour 2, live and on demand, one hour to go here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast, and you're rid of us for the rest of the week. And I think I, I think you're looking forward to that. 888-900-3393 is the number, 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And we're going to get to your feedback that you've been sending to us here in just a couple of moments. Also want to remind you, if you do listen to us via podcast, if you wouldn't mind, if you've got some time today or over the next couple of days to leave us a five-star review wherever you podcast from, we would be very grateful because the more of those we get, whether it's iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher, Google, etc., the more of those we get, the more that the various algorithms that rule the earth uh, smile upon us, give us favor, and help us to find more people like you, which also means it's more likely we get to continue to have our phony baloney jobs. All right. So thank you to all of you that have left us uh, those reviews already. Thousands of you have done those. Please keep them coming, those five-star reviews. Now, if you don't like the show, we would never tell you to lie, but if you kind of like the show a little bit, maybe embellish your like for us all the more. All right. Now, there's a lot of underwear brands out there that claim to be big on comfort. But if that were true, then how come so many people are dissatisfied with their undies? All right. Now, my hunch is you haven't tried Tommy John, the revolutionary underwear brand that's upgraded over one million customers' lives. I'm one of them. I'm, I, was, I was like, yeah, sure, it's underwear. I don't mind. And then I started wearing these to the gym. I started wearing these. I could not believe the flexibility issues um a lot to, um you know you know fellas can i just keep it real for a second aaron do you mind you don't mind do you right all right you're at the gym right getting your squats on and you got that riding that ridage going on and you pull that move you pull at the gym well i used to pull now i'm old enough i, I don't care because i know nobody's looking so i don't mind at my age you know people are looking away Okay. But a few years ago, you know, you do that, you pull that move, you're like, you look around, anybody watching? Mm -hmm. And you got to kind of pull that rideage down. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't have to do that anymore. Okay. 
Um, the heat and humidity we've had recently, it's nice today. It's been pretty humid recent, recently. It's going to get humid again after today. Uh, I cannot believe how, how cool uh, it stays down there. So I am a huge fan of, of Tommy John underwear. Uh, ni- that, and I can tell you, that's why 96% of their customers have rated them four stars or greater. All right. So if you prefer to shop in stores, um, they've got over 1,200 retail locations nationwide. But with Tommy John, you, no adjustment is needed, and you can just do an online right now. In fact, I'll give you a promo code to give you 20% off, okay? Go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve now. TommyJohn.com slash Steve. Go there right now, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. TommyJohn.com slash Steve. Go there right now. Get 20, 20% off of your first order. Yes, they take care of the ladies too. Now, you know, uh, I wouldn't be one of... Um, uh, one of the uh, creepers on Mindhunter. So I have no idea how the ladies' underwear works. I'll have to have somebody else tell me that. But if it's anywhere near as good as what they do for the guys, then uh, muy bien. That's your Spanish lesson for the day. All right? So tommyjohn.com slash Steve. Get 20% off of your first order. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to some feedback Friday. We got to begin with an update on Vape Guy from that Fox News clip on the Laura Ingram show. Yes, from Barstool. Yes, yes. I just learned this. Russell Berger is one of our viewers uh, and, and listeners just emailed us and said, that guy was trolling. He works for Barstool Sports. It was a parody. It was a parody? It was. So I'm not a big Barstool Sports guy. Um, you know, my, my old sports uh, host, co-host, Kurt Schilling, is uh, uh, a daily devotee. All right? But that's brilliant social commentary. That Whoever that was, you got me. I have written my share of clever parodies over the years that have gotten a lot of people. Have, has anybody ever gotten me with a parody or satire since you've worked for me? No. It, it, it's rare. No. All right, I have my weaknesses, but succumbing to parody and satire is usually not one of them. This time you got me. So that's well done. And I take back my apology to the president and I resume my full-throated opposition to the stupidity of this vape ban. All right, now that I know that it was a parody. Thank you for clarifying that for us, Russell. Let's begin with this note from uh, Jeremy Frankel, who's one of our friends and pals, and he works. Uh, he writes over at the uh, Daily Wire, and he was reading some of the tweets that uh, we shared with you here on the show on 9-11, some of the tweets that I put out about what lessons have we learned in the last 18 years, and we talked about that on the show earlier this week. And he wrote to, to me, and he asked me this question. He said, hey, I must ask, because you've been in on these circles before in campaigns, and I actually know some politicians, but, but why do they do the stuff that you're talking about? In our tweets, and I would assume he's talking about the GOP ones, right? I mean, it's a right, but but what's in it for them to maliciously screw over Americans in favor of biased media coverage or whatever? I'm genuinely curious because this baffles me, Jeremy. It used to baffle me too until I started working in and around campaigns, and I saw them from the inside out. And therefore, you start seeing your competitors from the inside out as well, rather than from afar. And you get a difference. You can, you can have a certain level of expertise never having been in the grind. Just like you can know a lot about football just by watching the film. You can see what teams are trying to do and why it didn't work and what would have worked instead. You can do that if you, get, if, if you spend the time. You don't ever have to have been a coach. Ever, 
uh, or a player ever, I should say. Um, you know, Manny Diaz, who just got hired to the University of Miami, never played. And, and a lot of times, the best coaches were not great players. Sean McVay with the Rams. Uh, my favorite baseball manager growing up, Sparky Anderson with my Tigers. Tommy Lasorda with the Dodgers. All right, so you can learn the fundamentals having never played or not been a great player if you truly study. You can, from afar, not being on the team, if you do your homework and you're a critical thinker, you can see by watching the film and learning a sport why a team ran the play they did, or I'm sorry, why that play didn't work mm -hmm. and what they should have done instead. Here's something you'll never learn, though, unless you're inside with the coaching staff. Why they did what they did. You can see what they were trying to do and you can see why it did not work and how something else would have worked instead. But unless you're on the inside with the coaching staff, you can't figure, you don't know the, motiv you don't know the motivations. You know why? Because here's what you don't know. Like if you watched last night's Tampa Bay Carolina game, you, you, you don't know if Ron Rivera said to Cam Newton, hey man, you clearly don't have confidence in that shoulder. You're our best chance to win. Don't run the football. I don't want you out there lowering the shoulder and then you're out of the game. You can't make any throws for us. You wouldn't know that unless you're inside the organization. So you could watch film of Carolina last night. You can see Cam Newton. Why isn't he running? There's opportunities to run, get first downs. Why isn't he doing? All right. You could see that. You know, they, would they get first and goal like the three? And they didn't score on that last drive of the game. I want to say, didn't Tampa stop them at fourth and goal on the two or three yard line last yep. night? Yep. That was a, that's a classic. You put Christian McCaffrey and, and Cam Newton in the backfield. You run some you zone should, read and you make that defense choose which of these you, unstoppable forces are you going to try to that tackle. That should be an automatic five yards every time you line yes. up. Yes. Yeah. Just by virtue of putting those two athletes together at, at the same yes. time, right? But here's what you don't know. You're not in the headset. You don't know what they're saying when they're covering their mouths. You, so you can see after the game or as the game's going on, this, is, this isn't going to work or this didn't work and here's why and here's what could have worked instead. What you don't know is why they did what doesn't work. You don't know that. And it, the same is true for politics. When I, before I got involved in campaigns, I could look from afar, study the data, look at the trends, history, and, and demographics and say, that's why that didn't work. And here's what they could have done differently. But if you're not inside of a campaign or a political operation, you don't really know why they do those things. And motivations, the, the biggest problems I've ever run into in my career, and I've said this before, is when I've tried to guess motivations of human beings. Now, I don't have a problem judging motivations when they're obvious, okay? Like when they tell you what, when they tell you what their motivations are. But when I'm trying to gauge someone's motivations, I am not the Holy Spirit. I'm not God. I don't have a transcendent ability like that. And here's what I, here's, 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 here's what I learned being involved in campaigns, Jeremy. And I had this question too, and I know a lot of you do. No man can rise above his own worldview. As I wrote in Rules for Patriots, there's a worldview and then there's a moral view. And with your moral view, you can assert things you even think and believe with certainty at that time. But eventually, those morals are going to come into conflict with situations. And then what do you do? What do you do when your morals come into conflict with your situations? When you, you gave your vows to your wife and she gave hers to you, you were both probably pretty certain that day 
that you meant it, right? But then the years go by. The, the struggles of marriage inevitably take hold. You're not as intimate as you used to be. You're not connected the way that you used to be. You guys are at not in agreement, not of one mind of how to handle that one child that's a problem right now and is struggling in life. You're not as attentive to her as you used to be because of these differences that have created distance. And that day, she really meant it when she said she promised to be faithful. But then eventually, your morality runs into situations. And now that she's in this situation, and there's a guy at work that's paying attention to her and seems to care more, suddenly she finds herself in bed with him. Or... You meant it that day when you said that to your wife. You really meant it. But then eventually, morality comes into conflict with situations. And now, there's a woman at work that does seem to notice you've been working out. Does seem to have noticed you put on a new shirt. Does seem to notice your drip, your swag, and the clout. (laughs) No, Steve. No. In fact, if you if you want to make sure you never commit adultery, use those words a lot. Yeah. All right. <laughs> those words those words are like a chick repellent. Okay. Particularly uh, if you're a, a, a white male. But um, then suddenly, you guys are hanging out after work. Maybe then eventually you're grabbing a drink, and then eventually you're doing other stuff. You had no idea that day you gave your word at that church that this day was going to come. You were morally certain. But then eventually morality runs into circumstances and situations and there's going to be a conflict. What navigates that conflict? Your worldview does. So you can be morally certain of something. There's a lot of Republicans when they stand on a stage. Marco Rubio is out there today trashing Democrats. For how much of our money they they decided they wanted to spend last night? How much of the current trillions of dollars of debt has he been up there voting for in the Senate the entire time? Hell, Marco Rubio was going to author the largest Democrat voter drive of all time called the Gang of Eight. He was trying to push us to support it, to get more people that want to vote for, I'm going to just give $1,000 a month randomly to 10 candidates Andrew Yang put out there last night. But when you, when you watch him next to a Democrat, doesn't he seem morally certain? Doesn't he? Yeah. In fact, he's an incredibly devastatingly effective communicator of our beliefs. Opposite them, is he not? Yes. But then, do you think... Now, some of these people are sociopaths. The, the total depravity is always in effect on this program. Some of these people are sociopaths and they're just lying to you. But it's probably not as many as you think. Like, I think Mitt Romney is just like a corporate sociopath. I think he'll just say and do whatever you want, whatever you want. Whatever you need, I'm your Huckleberry. I think Mitt Romney's life philosophy is, I'm your Huckleberry. Whatever flip-flop, whatever you want to hear, I'll just say it. I'm in. In fact, now we're actually, for the first time in many years, getting some moral certainty from him. It's just always on the, he's, he's just always wrong on the issues. <laughs> All right? Bill Clinton, classic sociopath. What do I mean by that? Someone who so believes in their own magical thinking that they can convince you that the sky is green while they're lying to you right to your face. 
they get they're so high on their own supply they they've created a concocted a alternative reality there's not as many of these sociopaths though as you think i in fact it would be easier if that was true that's i went into this process jeremy thinking that was the case and i came away think that's not true actually i'm giving a lot of these people way too much credit you know what they really just are people flawed they don't have a, a fully formed worldview or at least that's the wrong one so the 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 fully formed worldview does this you're at the gym you're working out and she wore yoga pants again today the fully formed worldview is when the conscience steps in and says, what you doing? And the fully formed worldview steps in and says, you know, it's a really good question and I don't have an answer to it. And, and all the answers I do have are bad. So I'm going to stop doing this right now and go about my business. That's what a fully formed worldview does. When, when it's confronted with circumstances, the certainty holds. We used to call this Conviction. Early in my career, I used to say I was looking for politicians that, that didn't have positions, but convictions. Convictions are the things you aren't going to change no matter what the circumstances are. You can't. No matter what pressures are brought to bear, you're not changing them. Most of your people that you elect are people of positions. Why? Because that's the larger spiritual answer. Because the church has been sadly ineffective in discipling this culture. And that's why there's not a lot of people of conviction around here. Because most churches in America, even Orthodox, I'm not even talking about the heretics. I'm talking about the ones that preach Orthodoxy. They're, they, they are positional. When it's safe to bring up that marriage is between a man and a woman, they will. But when the conflict is raging, it doesn't come up. Well, we don't want to get political here. Uh, it's not political. It's the definition of marriage. It's the first institution of humanity ever established by God. It actually is older than the church. This is the biblical doctrine of family agency. It's not a political position. All right. Eons before anybody had ever heard of American exceptionalism and the Windsor opinion, God wrote, for this reason, uh, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And so when the institution whose charge in a culture is to create people of conviction instead decides that it's more concerned about its positions, like its positions in a community, in a society, with the IRS, when it decides it's going to do that, it's going to create people that are going to be discipled accordingly. And then the people that are discipled accordingly, you know, where do we get our politicians from? Yeah, you've got people that are tools of the swamp and, 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 or the establishment or now the term we like is the deep state, whatever term you want to use. Right. Okay? But there's really not that many as you think, folks. They're, they're, they're not loaded up there with Ivy League grads up there at, 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 at Capitol Hill. They're not. They didn't, it's, you know, the, the system didn't plant. Let's find this guy from the Skull and Bone Society at 
Columbia and make and and he's going to run in this district in Montana. No, it doesn't. That's not happening. Okay. What is happening is there is some of that, but if the system was as all powerful as as we pretend it is, because we like victimology too, we'd never win any elections at all. Now, what often happens is. Since our churches don't produce people of conviction, but disciples them as people positionally, or, or and that's just the people they get to disciple. How about the people they, they don't ever get in contact with or engage? The secular people. So the secular people are already gone, and then the church people are, are largely being discipled positionally, not convictionally. Well, where do we get the vast majority of our politicians from? The people. How, do, how does somebody get elected? Who votes for them? The people. So a people that are either secular or largely discipled to be positional in their views. Out of that pool comes your candidates and, and the vast majority of voters. And so I'm back to my original analogy. That day at the altar, you really meant it. When Marco Rubio is up there defending life without exceptions, man, even in, on, even in foreign hostile media, he means it. He means it. But then the circumstances come. Mitch McConnell comes into his office and says, this has no chance to pass and you don't want the Democrats to win. And you've watched how they've lied about your family background and called you a racist. And you start doing the math in your head and you're like, yeah, I can look the other way here. I mean, these people kind of deserve it. Just like when she finally says, do you want to get a drink after work? You can think of how long it's been since you and your wife have slept together and the fact that she hasn't even put on any makeup for you anymore and doesn't seem interested, doesn't notice how hard you're working at all. And you can decide in a moment like that, that yeah, I've got some free time. And you can decide, sister, you know, he doesn't listen to me anymore. He doesn't care about me anymore. Doesn't tell me I'm pretty anymore. And you can decide, yeah, yeah, I'd like to meet for coffee. You bet. Because you listen. Moral certainty doesn't have a chance against circumstances and situations. If moral certainty could do it, we wouldn't have to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We wouldn't have to have, you know, God wouldn't have had to have real his law through Moses. We wouldn't need, um, uh, we wouldn't need a personal relationship with our Savior, with our, with our Maker. We wouldn't need those things if we could just do this out of moral certainty and willpower. We can't. Some of us can do it for longer than others, but eventually you can't either. You're eventually, all of us, going to have red in your ledger. That's where the convictions have to come from. The knowledge that if I blow this, who am I really accountable to? Who am I really disappointing? And then you start looking at situations, not as if you, it's a question of will, the permission. You're not looking at, now I'm going to get kind of Luther here with the, with the bondage of the will. Instead of looking at a situation, when, when your morality conflicts with your circumstances, instead of looking at it and saying, will I do this? Will I, I don't, what will I do? Will I, what, will I call her back? Will I call him back? Will I lie about this? Will I cheat about that? What will I do? What will I do? What will I do? I, can't, I don't know what to do. I, I really want to do it, but I know that it's wrong. Instead of looking at it that way, you're going to say, I, I, I don't have the permission to do that. I can't. Early in my radio career, my first full-time job after I got converted 
I said to the management there, is anything you ask me to do that God says I can do, even if it's stuff I don't want to do, you're in charge, I'll do it. But I'm, the answer is no. Anytime you ask me to do something, God says I can't do. No. And it won't be personal. I just, I can't. It, it, there's not a negotiating price. I just, I can't do those things. Because, it, and, and, and by the way, doing that isn't because I'm self-righteous. It's the acknowledgement of the lack of righteousness within me. It's the acknowledgement that I have to have boundaries. Otherwise, I will say yes to that God says to say no. Those who are seeking to keep the law are not, are, are not the self-righteous ones. It's the acknowledgement that, dude, if, if I don't know where the, where the boundary is here, I'm going to run them up. I'm going to do whatever I want. It's actually the act of humility. The one who says, I, God says I can't do those things. That's an act of, of humility, humbleness. That's a recognition. God is God. You are not. And so when we have a largely circumstantial driven society, and that's where we largely get our pool of elected leaders from, and that's where we get the totality of our voter pool from, you're going to, therefore, a circumstantial people are going to raise up circumstantial politicians, and that's whom they're going to elect. And that's why we're where we're at. In, in, in the scriptures, you see three archetypes of a politician. The two of conviction are rare. Now, one is a person of bad conviction. Total um, selfish, humanistic, narcissistic conviction. That's your Ahab. And then you have your altruistic conviction. The true warrior. That, that's your Josiah. You know, it says... It says about him in the in Chronicles and Kings that he was the rare king. In fact, if, if I know my history of that era, I could be wrong. So if there's any uh, Jewish historians in the audience, correct me. But if I know my if I remember my history right of that era, I believe he was the final king that went to the high places and tore them down. That he he was not set. He was not content with managing the decay. It wasn't just enough to cleanse out clean out the temple. No. All of this pagan revelry has to go. And we're even, why were the high places? Why, why, why did so few kings go there? Because what was happening on the high places? That was where the people's favorite sin was taking place. That's where the Asherah poles were. That's where the sex cult was. That's where you, get, that's where you went for your live demonstrative porn, or you could participate if you would like, to the god and goddesses of fertility. That was the people's pet sin. That's why so few kings went there. Not to mention, they liked it too. It's rare that you'll get a Josiah that says, no, that's because it's your pet sin that has to go. Because it is. Because that's the sin that so easily ensnares, as the writer in Hebrews says. But you're going to get very few Ahabs, and you're going to get very few Josiahs. The vast majority are going to be Hezekiahs. The people that, you know, early in his reign, it says they celebrated the Passover unlike at any other time. I think it says either since the time of Solomon or the time of Moses. I can't remember exactly. But then by the end of his reign, when he's drunk on his own ego, 
And the prophet comes to him and says, you know, because of this, because you are denying glory that belongs only to God and giving it to yourself, there's going to be a judgment on your people. He shows no repentance, no remorse. Instead, he asks, is this going to happen while I'm in charge? And the prophet tells him no. And then he's like, well, that's not my problem. That's who most of them are. People of positions or position. When it's early and it's easy, I'm in. But when, I, when it's time to endure to the end, to finish the race, and when it gets hard and there's real opposition now, eh, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good, lesser it to evils, just doing the best we can do. Well, you don't know how the process works around here. You got to be more realistic. It's the art of the possible. Nothing new under the sun, Jeremy. Just new people under the sun that haven't fallen for it yet. you have any thoughts on that, Aaron? I think one reaction, um, or at least the first reaction for people listening to this, I don't know, it's mine as well, is one of a little bit of empathy because it's really easy. And I do this all the time, too. And I know that uh, people listening do as well. Uh, there are certain figures that crop up or that, that stay in the public light, certain political figures that you just cannot stand. The backstabbing people who will say uh, one thing to get elected. You know who I'm talking about. We talk about them all the time on this show. And they are so easy to hate. And it's not without some justification as well. But it gives you a little bit more empathy to remember that they are human beings too. They have just as many sinful Mm -hmm. proclivities as anybody else. The second reaction that I think we have to take away from this as well, in light of that, how do we then view these people? How do we then, how do we then um, respond to them as well? Well, I think it's pretty easy to answer that question. These aren't your friends. What is it that you always say, Steve? They're your employees. They're your employees. The other thing that you always say is that a politician is never going to love you as much as you love them. So stop loving them. They're your employees. Treat them as such. We'll come back. More of your feedback here. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. More here on Blaze TV radio and podcast in a moment. You know, most of us love our cell phones almost as much as we love hamburgers, but if uh, Democrats uh, get their way, I think Kamala Harris just even flat out said this recently, uh, they're going to try to reprogram uh, the way we like to eat, uh, you know, because of climate change uh, or or something. Um, This is why you need to. It's another reminder. By the way, you know who's all in on the whole climate, you know, alarmism cult? Corporate America is. So that's another reminder when you have the option to do business with people whose values are similar to yours, take advantage of it. We don't always have that option, but when we do, take advantage. One of the places we do, your mobile phone. 
Hard to live without one in America today. And that's where Patriot Mobile comes in. It's the only conservative, veteran-led mobile phone company with plans as low as $25 a month. You get the same nationwide service that you get from all of the other ones that are spending your money on causes and values that you don't agree with. In fact, right now, for a limited time, you can get that new Moto Z3 Play at Patriot Mobile for only $10 a month. That's right, the Moto Z3 Play. That's the uh, the big screen, the expandable storage, the high-quality camera. You can get that right now for 10 bucks a month if you switch over to Patriot Mobile. And just to throw another thing in for you, you'll get one free when you activate two new lines. So you get a free one of those when you activate two new lines at PatriotMobile.com. Here's how easy it is to switch. Just go to the website, PatriotMobile.com slash blaze. One more time. PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. In fact, one more time for the folks back home. PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. All right, Aaron. Yo. This next email is going to be right in your wheelhouse because oh this is a story that generationally is happening in your era, mm-hmm. all right? Uh, this is from Samantha Height. And by the way, Samantha. That's a, that's a name, Samantha Tabitha. Chick names that need to come back. Cool chick names that I think need to do like, like we had a rebound of Zachary's and Noah's on the, on the dude side in yep. recent years. Yep. Samantha and Tabitha are two names that I think need to make a comeback. Can I get a second on that? Uh, seconded. Those are cool names. Yep. All right. Uh, Samantha Height says, I'm a millennial woman. She just turned 30. Mm-hmm. She says she's single, college educated, and working for the postal service until she finishes her master's. In other words, she says, it's amazing I'm not a socialist. Yes, she's in college and works for the government, and she's not a socialist. Um, she says she's, she guesses she's culturally conservative. I'm definitely what you'd kind of call a fundy Christian. My political awakening started with Sarah Palin and later going to Tea Party rallies. But about 2016, I went fully cynic. And honestly, without my faith, I probably would have slid into nihilism. As a result, I left the Republican Party and became a libertarian. I've reconciled my faith and my political beliefs by saying that I believe people should suffer the consequences for their actions and choices without the buffer of law that has the effect of secular moralism. I see this most in the question of legalization of marijuana, but I think this holds across the board. I personally think drug use is somewhere between gross and self-destructive, but I think a free people should be able to knock themselves out. I think most of the laws that protect minorities from discrimination should be repealed in favor of letting people be who they are on the inside, even if that includes their racist or bigots. And then let the market decide, hey, if you don't want to do business, now that you know they're a racist and bigot, don't do business with them if you don't want to. This takes the wind out of the sails of the bake the cake argument. At the end of the day, I feel like screaming, get over yourself and acknowledge I could potentially be a victim of the system, but I also need to get over it. Do you think this worldview has legitimacy? Before I throw it to you, let me say this to you, Samantha, and then I'll have something further to add after Aaron is done. Because I'm guessing you know a ton of people like this in your generation. Right? Oh, sure, yeah. Let me say right now, Samantha, there's two kinds of people that claim they're libertarians now, I have found. The vast majority of them are people that are like, I, I just don't want to have to talk about abortion and gay marriage, but I like guns and low taxes. I mean, I, I, in fact, I'd say it's like 90%. It's really high. That's the vast majority of the, the, the libertarian moment that we allegedly had a few years ago that wasn't. The vast majority of people claiming they were libertarian were largely con- millennials that just didn't want to have talking about gay marriage and abortion. You okay with that so far? Yep. About 10% are people that are seriously thinking this through, which you are doing, okay? So because it's obvious that you're thinking this through, like if you sent me a note and it was pretty clear you just didn't want to have to talk about tough moral issues, we probably wouldn't even read this on the air. 
But since it's pretty clear you're you're trying to to navigate this sober minded, lionhearted, and 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 critical thinking all the way, this I think leads to a, a, what could be a fascinating conversation. And so, since I know this is going on a lot in your generation, Aaron, I'm going to let you start first. Go ahead. So can I can I simply summarize? She's saying that liber- she she believes libertarianism would be would be on, on, in ideal circumstances would be an answer to what we see from the bake the cake, uh, cake bigot crowd. Well, that's you have to determine that. Yeah, okay, that's, that it, it is her answer. Yeah. Okay. I um no let, let's let's back up here. Let's take this from a macro view. What is libertarianism? Uh, capital L, and I'm going to make a distinction here even before I get to the caveat, so this is going to take a little while. I would define capital L libertarianism as um, as a, uh, a, a way that you uh, – as a worldview, a way that you see the world, that you will hold fast to this. This is a conviction, and uh, there's, there's nothing or no, bon, no one who can take it away. Lowercase libertarianism, I would say, is – you know what? I think people should, generally speaking, have the ability to do what they please in a way that they seem fit, and uh, everybody else can go to hell if they don't like it. Um, something along those lines. With capital L libertarianism, um, the pr- it is it is a, a a framework of the world that is man-made. It is not of God. Why do I say that? Because capital L libertarianism just assumes that because somebody uh, will be deterred by uh, you shooting them for stealing your property, uh, that that will just balance out and people will say, well, I don't want to get shot just for stealing some guy's car or some guy's uh, jet ski or something like that. No. There is a reason that government is a God-ordained institution because when people uh, inevitably start shooting each other uh, under libertarianism, it just turns to chaos. And one of the first uh, things that we learn about the character of God is that he is a God of order. We see that in the, all throughout the first chapter of Genesis and, and really uh, you know, throughout the rest of the Bible as well. And this chaos, this chaos that I'm uh, describing that stems from capital L libertarianism, that chaos stems from a lack of understanding that human nature is not basically good. People are not deterred now by the laws that we have. Some people are not deterred now by the laws that they have. Mm-hmm. Why, do you think they, why do you think that they're going to be deterred by anything else that comes out of capital L libertarianism? So the point of all of this is libertarianism, capital L libertarianism, is not the antidote to the spirit of the age progressivism. If spirit of the age progressivism is what we have said it is, it is the heresy of this age, it is the competing theological dictate of this age, the answer is not another man-made theological dictate, because that's essentially what capital L libertarianism is as well. The antidote is spiritual revival, literally divine intervention. We talked about this before. That spiritual revival doesn't just come from us saying, hey, we're really bad. No, it comes from the Holy Spirit convicting us of our badness, of our sinfulness. So the antidote, the the bottom line of what I'm saying here is that I don't think capital L libertarianism is is ever going to solve the issue of spirit of the age progressivism because it does not actually address the core of where progressivism comes from. Very well said. And... 
Samantha, your reaction to what's happening is natural and sensible. I mean, a lot of what you're saying makes sense. But as Aaron just pointed out, you're, you're expecting an equivalency here. Your, your expectation level is that if I'm willing to let you be a degenerate, then you'll be willing to let me be a holy roller. If we were capable of that level of accommodation as a species and a culture, then we wouldn't even need to have this conversation. There wouldn't, we wouldn't have the tension that we have. A gay man like Dave Rubin, who's joining our roster here soon at the Blaze, would not stick out like a sore thumb. A black man like John Miller wouldn't stick out like such a sore thumb. If this level of, a, of accommodation were possible, rather than succumbing to the idolatry of identity politics, for example, if, if, if we had more people that were willing to say, hey, I'll go work for Steve Dace who thinks my marriage isn't real and that I'm a sinner because I, I like some of the other things he says and he agrees with me on some other stuff and I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on the other thing and let God determine that argument, but I'm not going to take his freedom away if he doesn't take mine away. If there were a lot of people like that, you wouldn't have the conflicts that we have today. The problem with libertarianism is it presumes to be an aspirational philosophy, and it's not. As Aaron explained, it doesn't provide an antidote. It doesn't heal anything. Libertarianism is how we can live when we figured it out. Libertarianism is when Mr. Manischewitz next door wishes my kids a Merry Christmas on their way to school. And then, and what happens now, though, is Mr. Manischewitz calls the Freedom From Religious Foundation and tries to get uh, Christmas programs taken out of the schools. That's the, that's, that's the difference. When we have this liberty thing figured out, my lesbian next-door neighbors put up their rainbow flag in June. I put up my Easter cross in, in March and April. If I have a few minutes, I mow their lawn. When I have a few minutes, or when they have a few minutes and I'm stuck in a ditch in my driveway, they help shovel me out. We have deeply seated disagreements. But we have that I'm not changing for them. Certainly. Those are my convictions. But we have determined that in this, this side of Eden, being, you know, that I've determined in my worldview, love my neighbor as I love myself means it's more important for me right now to clearly express my convictions while not, not changing my convictions for them, but treating them like I would treat anybody else regardless of their beliefs as my neighbor. They're, they're my literal neighbor. And they return that in kind. God bless them. Is that, is that the norm around here, Aaron? It ain't. It ain't. And it's not. Now, here's why, it, and I know what you're going to come back and say. Steve, you're always saying that most people don't want to do what these leftists are doing. And you're right. Yet that doesn't stop these leftists from doing it, does it? We have to accept the world for as it is, not as we would prefer it to be. If, if the arrangement in my neighborhood or a Dave Rubin and Steve Dace working together, if this was possible to be the norm in America right now, we wouldn't be having drag queen story time hour. 
Because most sane people, regardless of what they think about the homosexuality issue or the marriage issue, think that's nuts to expose children to that. You know who doesn't think that's nuts? Leftists. Because they're not seeking an accommodation. They're seeking a defeat. You're presuming there can be a smorgasbord here. If we all just agree that freedom and free commerce and and the capitalism that goes along with it is preferable to blowing up a society so that you can force us to identify with whatever floats your boat. But you're dealing with people that don't agree with you on that. They would rather have the validation than the freedom and the free commerce. This goes back to the conversation I just had with Jeremy last segment, but in reverse. They're the people of conviction. And they're going to force their convictions on you. They're not changing. You're not bribing them. Doesn't matter how long the line is out in front of Chick-fil-A. They're going to lay down in front of it and play dead with a rainbow flag. Okay? They don't want freedom and liberty. They want power. Power. Aaron has heard me say this from the time his parents had me listening to my show when it was on WHO and he was a homeschooled kid. Progressivism is about control, right? How many times you hear me say that over the years, Aaron? At least too many. That's what it's about. Control. It's not about accommodation, freedom, pluralism. Not about any of that. Control. The will to power. That's what it's about. Hell yeah, we're going to take your guns. Hell yeah, we're going to tax the hell out of you. Hell yeah, Medicare for all. That's what it's about. And if, if you try to live and let live, Samantha, as you are attempting, then they will come for you because you, you will be made to care. In some respects, you're a bigger threat than somebody like me is. Why? Because you're showing that, you know, if we actually agreed that freedom and capitalism, regardless of where we're, you know, pilgriming here on this earth on the way to eternity are a better way to live this east of Eden than any other way. That's even more dangerous to them. They can, they can look at people like me and raise money off of me. Ah, oh, the theocrats. <laughs> you're more of a threat in some respects because you're willing to provide some mutual accommodation, which just calls their lie out all the more. But every time you turn on a tolerance boulevard, it's going to be a one-way street. This is a worldview steel cage match. Two are going to enter. One's going to leave. They have no intent. Maybe after you defeat them, then we can have the conversation that you would like to have. But they're never going to let that happen because they want control. This is a will to power. That's what it is. I'm in rebellion to God. And if God will not grant me what I want most from him, then I will get the next most powerful force on this planet to do so, government. And then once I get control of the government, I'm going to get them to get you, my neighbor, to give it to me too. One final thing before we get out of here, if you have been struggling with why you're not reaching some of your healthcare goals, you're struggling with your cravings, your portion sizes, give Riduzone a try. Yeah, You know, our bodies were made to store calories because it's only been a, a recent development in the arc of human history that food was a convenient resource. There, there are still places, the vast majority of places on this planet, food is still not a convenient resource as we would define convenience. 
All right. So we've, we, we need a little help here. Now your creator put a molecule in your body that is supposed to tell your brain when to stop eating it. it it's a signal that goes from the brain, uh, from the belly to the brain. It's called OEA. It's just, just this little molecule. All of us have it, but given some of our eating styles and habits nowadays, the sedentary lifestyles we have compared to previous eras of humanity, it just isn't as strong as it needs to be. And that's where Riduzone comes in. That's all that it is. It's not, you turn over the label, look at it. You're not going to see a bunch of chemicals and stimulants and caffeines. You don't know what those, these things are. It's just OEA. That's all that it is. And right now they're offering you 30% off a three-month supply. And here's a few more other things you need to know. FDA accepted vegetarian and gluten-free friendly all right so this isn't loaded with additives it's just, this is as naturally you can get it's just it's just a molecule like you your body was given at birth it's just a you know an added extra dose of that okay so if you want to give it a shot riduzone right now 30 percent off a three-month supply when you use my name steve as a promo code when you go to riduzone.com that's r-i-d-u-z-o-n-e for riduzone.com. Any final thoughts, Aaron, before we get out of here? Yeah, so talking about progressivism and spirit of the age, uh, spirit of the age progressivism, one and the same. There was a comment that we laughed at last hour that Todd made, and I wanted to repeat it and kind of underscore it. It was really funny, and it was off the cuff, but I actually think that it's, uh, I, I, think, it's, I think it's even more, uh, uh, apropos than, than maybe even Todd thought of it. When talking about Kamala Harris, um, she's more sane than I originally gave her credit for, and that's why she's having so much problem in the, er, so many problems in the Democratic primary. What he's saying is the heart of progressivism is inherently chaos. It's inherently disorder confusion sanity looking into that can't even with with that know your enemy they are I, the people themselves they're made in god's image progressivism that is the enemy and there's no there's no bones about it and i don't think there's i don't think that's up for debate at any level know your enemy and once you do that'll change how you respond to them we are going to stick around and do it a little overtime. Sans Todd, Aaron, and I will each give us your best and worst of the week if you're a Blaze TV subscriber. If not, blazetv.com slash dace is how you can subscribe. For the rest of you, we are back at it again after the weekend, noon to 2 Eastern after Glenn Beck on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. 